Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. It's always such a blessing to, to sing with you guys, to worship the Lord in that way. Uh, I really think it's a foretaste of what we're going to experience in eternity, that there will be times when we will worship together, but what we will worship together is without the burden of sin that we have always known, and we don't know life without the burden of sin, and it will be gone. What a blessing that will be. Well, we started talking a couple weeks ago about what it means to be a genuine Christian, to, to be the real deal, right? Not, not the kind of Christians you've run into in, in life that you say, if they're a Christian, I don't know what's up with that. But the kind of person, you know, that, that is just a real Christian. And what's that like? What's that mean? And, and we said, if we're going to know what that is, we need to go to the Bible and look and see what were those first Christians like? The people who had walked with Jesus and, and then the people that they brought into a relationship with Christ there in the book of Acts. And we saw, learned that, that they weren't even called Christians there. They had a, a very specific Simple name. Do you remember what they were called? They were called the way. The way. Implying that there is the right way to believe. There is the right way to live. There is the right way to be a Christian. And and it goes back to Jesus being the way. I am the way. The truth and the life. And so we started off talking about that and saw that if we are going to be the kind of Christians that we're supposed to be, Christians like they were back in the way in the New Testament there. That the first thing we must settle is that we have to surrender to the Lord. We must surrender to the Lord. Because you remember what Jesus said? We looked at his words. And he talked to those who wanted to be his followers, who wanted to be his disciples. And, and they sa- um, he said to them, you have to make a decision now about your family. That I, Jesus, I come before your family. And if you have to choose, you've already chosen me. And your family may think that you hate them because of this. But you've already made the choice. And you've already surrendered to the Lord in this. And, And then we saw he also said that you have to be willing to suffer for following him. Ready and willing to suffer. You need to settle this now. Settle ahead of time. Whatever I have to suffer, no matter what the world thinks of me, even if this takes me to the point of death, I am going to follow Christ. And yeah, I know I'm weak and I know I got struggles, but that is my decision. This is what I am intending to do. And we surrender to the Lord in that. And then he said, you have to forsake all that you have. You have to let go of it all. You give it all up. And Lord, this is anything that I have now in my possession is now yours It's no longer mine, it's yours to do with as you please. Lead me in and I will do it. I've already settled, I've already forsaken it. It's not, I have to be willing to forsake it at some point in the future. I've already made that determination now. And then he said this, at each of these places actually, he said, and if you don't do these things, you cannot, that's a strong word, you cannot be my follower. You cannot 
be my disciple. So, man, this, this commitment to surrender to the Lord is huge, isn't it? And, and it's a requirement to follow Christ. And so we must settle that. And we, we settle it first by receiving Christ as Savior. That's where we surrender and say, okay, I get it. I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm separate from your God. I can't sit, fix this issue on my own. I receive Christ as Savior and I surrender to you in this part of my life. And that's the starting point for every other surrender. And we, so we have this big one-time surrender and it leads to daily, sometimes moment by moment, surrender. And then last week we saw that we need to grow to be like the Lord. That's what, what Christians do. That's what they're supposed to be doing. Growing in a direction, growing to become like Christ, more like Christ in our hearts, minds, actions, approach to life, uh, more and more like him. And we saw that God has left three things in the world for us to help us to grow. And those three things are, I mean, he was the son of God and then when he left, he left us with the word of God and the people of God and the spirit of God. And we need all three of these things in a proper relationship in our lives to grow the way we're supposed to. And last week we talked about the first of those, the word of God, and we saw that, that we need to saturate our lives with the word of God so that our thinking begins to match the thinking in the Bible, that our heart's desires begin to match the hearts and desires that we're told in the Bible. The way we live our lives begins to match more and more. But that won't happen unless we saturate ourselves with his word. And so we have to make some decisions in life to make sure that that becomes a reality for us. And that brings us today to where we want to talk about the role of God's people in our growth. The people of God and, and that role in our lives. And what I want to do to start with here is to give, take a survey of you guys, okay? Now, this involves some actual, you have to do something. Raise your left hand. This is my right hand, but I'm mirroring you, okay? Your left hand, all right? I'm going to give you a survey, and it's going to have two answers, two possible answers. And if you choose the first answer, you, you count it on this hand, okay? There's five questions. Okay, you can put that hand down. This hand is if you choose the second answer, okay? So the idea is you're just going to keep score, right? See what I'm saying? You guys look like you're saying, what? You understand? So you're going to keep scores. Only five questions, so you got enough fingers, for sure. All right. So here they are. Uh, um, the first thing we want to do is, is: what does the word alone mean? The word alone. And so the first answer. So it's this hand is alone means lonely. Alone means lonely. Or does it mean enjoying some peace and quiet? Okay, alone. So you gotta pick one. One or the other. You got it? You have to pick. I understand that problem, but no, make yourself go one way or the other. All right. Second one is free time. Free time. Does it mean a time when you get to get together with other people and do group activities, or is it a time when you can read or watch television without anybody interrupting you. Okay, so the first one is a time to get together with everybody and have a great time doing stuff, or the other one's be alone and read or watch TV or something like that. All right. Friend. Friend. Is it someone who makes sure, makes sure that you're never alone? Or is it someone who understands that it's okay to be left alone? All right. 
Okay, so keep traveling your fingers here. Home, the word home. Is it a place to invite everybody you know or is it a place to hide from everybody you know? Okay, so pick one of those. Last one, a phone, okay, the phones. Is it a lifeline to all those other people in your life or is it a necessary evil? A lifeline to all the people you wanna stay connected with or a necessary evil, all right? Okay, so how many of you have more fingers up on your left hand than your right hand? Okay, quite a few of you. All right. How many of you have more fingers up on your right hand than your left hand? Ah, that explains some things. How many of you are just really confused right now? <laughs> okay. I had another survey question, but you don't have enough fingers to answer. I wondered, how many of you like to answer questions like these? Yeah, that's really no. All right, this is actually just, just a kind of an informal test about to whether you are an introvert or an extrovert. This hand, your left hand, was the extrovert kinds of things, and your right hand was the introvert kinds of things. And, and then they have people who are in the middle who don't know if they're, they're ambiverts, it says. Um, but the reason I'm saying to you this is, oh, let me say, mention this, if you were really strong one way, how many of you had all fingers on the introvert side? Okay, and is there a good chance that you were married to someone who had all the other fingers up? Right? And we tend to attract each other like that. But what I want to see is that we are different from the get-go when it comes to how we look at life. We come from all different places. We have different ways of looking at things. We have different ways of looking at people and relationships and how we feel about those things. And if we aren't careful when when we start looking at a topic like this today, we, we are going to start with our own biases, and we have them. We're going to start with our own feelings, own desires, and have them. But if we aren't careful, we will let that shape our response to what God is saying. So what we want to do is recognize that we probably have those things, but then on purpose say, okay, God, I need to know what you have to say about your people and their role in my life. So let's let's pray about that. Father, we do come to you and ask that as we look to your word to understand uh, the role that your people should have in our lives when it comes to growing to be like you, that we would understand what you say and that we would already choose now to yield ourselves to what you say and uh, then be willing to respond and do whatever we need to based on what you say. And we thank you that you've made us all unique and different and that that you put us together in ways that can accomplish your purposes. But we need to hear from you. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. And the Bible that's there in the pew, it's page number two. We encourage you to follow along with us. Uh, if you don't have your own Bible, you can grab that Bible in the, under the chairs there. Did I say the pew a minute ago? Oh, man. The chairs, page number two. So God has created all things here in this chapter. It's this, the six days of creation. And um, before we go any farther, this is obviously, this was uh, the Jewish people, their, you know, the Old Testament was their Bible before the New Testament ever came, but before Christ came. And of course it's ours too now. Um, But there was a doctrine that was so, so important to them. 
The, you know, the Hindus, if you are a Hindu, and I don't think any of you are here today, but Hindus have 330 million gods. Um, and they aren't all as big and important, but they have 330 million gods they could potentially worship. A lot of older religions and even some Eastern mysticism, other Eastern mysticism religions have multiple gods. Um, but Judaism was really, really known at the time that what distinguishes is there was only what? One God. Creator of heavens and earth. The one God. And, that was, and that's our understanding too. There is one God. So let's begin reading now in verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And I say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Didn't we just establish how many gods? There is one God. And yet it says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So what's going on? It starts off with God, one God, and then it's talking about us. Well, God is not just a me God. He is a we God. If you've been around Christianity for any length of time, you've run across, probably heard of what's called the doctrine of the Trinity. Sometimes people try to describe it in a way that's more, helps people understand and call it a triunity. But what the doctrine is, is that there is only one God. And somehow he exists as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But he is one God. But he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he is one God. It's not three parts to God. Not just three ways God shows him. He is Father, Son, and Spirit, but he is one God. Now, everybody got that all nailed down and understand how that all works? Not me, <laughs> but the Bible so clearly reveals it. It is revealed to be that way, so it is true. That is the way God is. And so we see here God saying this. Let me read again, read these two verses. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. They're singular again. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what I want you to understand is, is two things here. One is that God is a relational being. He is a we being. When he's talking about us, it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit communicating with one another um, as God. And so he's relational. He was relational before he ever created. He did not need us. He didn't have to create us so he could have relationship. He already had relationship within himself. Okay? So God is a relational being. The second thing we want to see here is he created us in his likeness, in his image. He created us to be relational beings as well. Okay? Go over to chapter 2. Verse number 18, God has now created Adam. He has not yet created Eve. Verse 18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper 
comparable to him. And he goes on, talks about making the woman and, and a wife for Adam. But I want you to see there, he says something in the middle of verse 18. It is not good that the man should be alone. It's not good. It's not good for us. And it isn't just the man. By the man, you're talking about mankind, right? The woman. It's not good for us to be alone. God's intention for us is that we have relationships that make a difference in our lives. He made us relational beings and it's not good for us to not, I don't know if I said that, but we need to be in relationship and it's not good when we aren't. Now, so God meant for relationships to be good things then in our lives, didn't he? But what happened? Sin came into the world. Eve was deceived by uh, the enemy and Adam willfully chose to follow her into disobedience. And as a result, all the problems of the world came in, okay? All of the things that are results of sin. And one of the immediate results we see that happened to them is when they sinned, all of a sudden, they became very self-aware and very self-conscious so that they did this, right? And then they start covering up. And then they start hiding. Not just from God, but from each other in a sense. And so sin has hurt relationships. What God means for good, sin has come in and twisted and scarred and, and made it hard. If you have any significant problems going on in your life today, there's probably some aspect of that that is relational. You know, even if your, your biggest problem is finances, there's probably someone that you are having that relationship, that problem with in relationship. So relationships hurt. Have you ever been, I mean, you don't have to answer the question, but have you ever been hurt in a relationship? Have you ever been hurt to the point, you say, I don't know if I want to do that again, right? I mean, so we, we uh, understand that sin has hurt relationships. But you're still a relational being. And you still need relationships, even though it's not so easy now. Even though having those kinds of relationships might be harder because of sin in our world, you still need those relationships. All right, because that is the way God made us. And so God works in our lives to bring us into relationships, to provide us with relationships. It's interesting in the book of Psalms, in chapter 68, it says, God sets the solitary in families. Okay, God is at work taking those who are alone and trying to bring them into meaningful relationships. Why? Because it is not good for them to be alone. They need to be in relationship. And so God is providing this opportunity. Now, can people say no to God? Yeah, we do it, sadly, all the time. But we need not to do it. We need to say yes to him more than we say no to him. Uh, so God is at work um, bringing people into relationships with him. In fact, that passage of scripture uh, is what should be, one of the things you'll be discussing in this week's life groups. Um, so God has given us families, he's given us marriage, he's given us friends, all of these things designed by God for our good. But then sin came, as we said. Adam and Eve self-conscious, hiding, relationships become hard. Even when God talks about the result in marriage and the difficulties that come into marriage because of sin. And, um, so what did God do? He provided a solution 
to the sin problem. Right? He loved us so much, and I talked about it earlier. He loved us so much that he sent his son into the world to die, pay the penalty for our sins, rise again. So that when we understand that we have sinned against God and that we are separated from him, we're spiritually dead and separated from him, that we can choose to receive Christ as Savior. And if we will do that, he forgives every sin. Right? When this life is over, we go to heaven to be with him. Good news. But he does more than that. I mean, that is good news. That's the gospel, the start of the gospel. But the gospel is so much bigger than Jesus came and died so we don't have to go to hell so we can go to heaven. The gospel is much bigger than that. The good news is that not only are our sins forgiven and we receive eternal life, God himself moves in and deep down inside he transforms us. Deep down inside in our spirit he has changed us in good ways forever. And then as we cooperate with God, those changes begin to work its way out into our lives. And here's what's happening. Sin comes into the world and it produces death, spiritual death and eventually physical death and all the problems of the world, physical problems, relationship problems, all of these things, okay? Christ came into the world, died and paid for those sins as we already talked about. When we enter into relationship with him, when we receive him as savior, Christ begins to undo those consequences of sin. He begins to restore. And, and so we can say this, that Christ begins to reverse the curse of sin. All, everything that's gone because of sin, Christ comes into our lives and begins to reverse those things. And that includes our relationships. And in fact, what we're going to see is that one of the the key ways that he is reversing the curse of sin is by using relationships. He wants to expand the role of relationships in our lives and make them very purposeful. So turn to Ephesians chapter four. Page 1345, Ephesians chapter four. In this letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes a lot about the church and the body of Christ and what's going on and why. And so chapter four, verse 11, he says this, and he himself, talking about the Lord, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And, and um, the Greek language, you look at it, you can discover that pastors and teachers are the same person. So apostles, uh, those who walked with the Lord and prophets, they have really completed the active part of their job. They wrote and gave us the word of God, the scriptures, the New Testament. And then evangelists, those who are especially burdened to get the gospel out, and then pastors and teachers. And then, why, what are we up to? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, so my role is to help you to be uh, able to have the knowledge you need, the understanding you need, the skills that you need to do ministry, to serve the Lord with your life. And then he says this in verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so what he's saying, we become we grow to what? Be like the Lord, like Christ. But I want you to look carefully here. 
The Apostle Paul didn't say that you need to do this or that I need to do this. He's talking about the church and he says this, till we all come, all of us, together. All right, so growing to be like the Lord is not just an individual pursuit. It is something that we do together. That's by God's design and God's intent. And he continues, verse 14, that, what's the next word? That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So he says, it's growing to maturity so that we don't get caught up in, in sidetracks is a we endeavor. It's us together. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So again, growing to be like the Lord. Then he says this, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what, what's the next word? Every joint supplies according to the effective working by which, what's the word? You guys out there? Every part does its share. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So this is a we thing. It's as we engage in relationships with each other and we bring to those relationships the way God has made us and, and we're involved in those relationships the way the Lord intends that we grow. All of us grow. The church grows. That means I grow personally. It means you grow personally. It means we all grow and probably the church grows because we reach more people. And so there's just, uh, some quick things to understand when it comes to growth. Growth requires relationships. Growth, growing the way the Lord wants us to requires relationships. The second thing, the whole church is affected because if, if you're one of those parts that doesn't do its part, what happens? The church is affected negatively. This is a we all together kind of thing. And then you won't grow well alone. You might grow some, but you will not grow well. You will not grow whole. And then this doesn't happen by accident. I mean, don't misunderstand. We grow lots of times when we, we weren't thinking about it. God works and we grow. But when it comes to benefiting from the relationships in the church, just because of the way life is and the way we are, that does not happen by accident. We have to make some choices. So how, how many people do you need to relate with then? I mean, the reality is, and this is a, a little bit of a smaller group than the first service, but still even in this group, how many people in this group do you think you can have a close growing relationship with? You think you could have a close, glowing relationship with everybody? Look around, right? And don't say, oh, not with that person. No, uh, with this number of people. Do you think you could have a close, growing relationship with this many people? You can't. So this kind of relationship have to be in a smaller level with the number of people that you can actually pursue this with. How, how many people did Jesus have in his group? He had 12, that's right, plus himself. Okay? 
So th that doesn't mean we have to have 12 in our group, but that's what he had in his group. This is the people that he was in spending time with and interacting with. And they were working with each other and serving the Lord together. Go to Acts chapter 2, page 1254. This is the, uh, Christ has left, uh, the Holy Spirit now has come. Peter preaches to a huge crowd. Verse number 40, it says this, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. Then that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Okay, that's, that's big, isn't it? So if you couldn't have this kind of relationship with this group of people, could you have it with 3,000 people? No. And by the way, there was no one place that they could preach to 3,000 people. They, they had to be different courts and different places around the temple because they weren't inside the temple to do that. All right, and then these 3,000, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That means their teaching and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now, let me say to you that what was happening there is both temporary and enduring. And here's what I mean by that. It's temporary in the sense of this need arose because there were people from all over the world in Jerusalem when this went down who did not live there, who did not work there. And they are there and all of a sudden this happens. The church is born. They're getting, becoming followers of Christ and they're staying there and they're learning. They need place to live. They need money to buy food. They, and so what did the church do? What did the believers who did have money and did have possessions, they sold it and shared and gave. Now, so that's temporary in the sense that was why. But it's enduring because what did Jesus say? Unless you, you must forsake all. That means that if we found ourselves in a similar situation, would we do the same thing? Would we? Well, if we're true followers of Christ, would we do the same thing? Yes, because we have already what? Forsaken it all. We've already given to the Lord to use as he sees fit. So, so we see them living out that surrender to the Lord and growing with each other. Verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So this number is growing. But I want you to see, so they are going to the temple, to the temple courts, maybe different times, different places. They're being taught by the apostles and, and preached to and hearing that. And then they are continuing this growth in their homes. And it wouldn't have been just their families because remember, people from all over the world, where are they staying? Probably in the homes of these people, who, Christians who live there. Go over to chapter five. Page 1259. At some point in between here, it says that there were about 5,000 men in the church now, which means there were more women and, and children, so probably well over 10,000 in the church at this point in time. Verse 42, it says, and daily in the temple 
And in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So what if, all, what if we had 10,000 members here? Okay, so we have 10,000 members here. We gonna have services on Sundays? Yeah, quite a few. So we can see 200 if we fill every seat in here. How many services a week is that then if we fill every seat for 10,000 people? That is 50 services, seven a day. So would the church be meeting daily in the church building? It would be, and also out and about in the houses. So this is what we see, daily in the temple and in every house, they were focusing in on their relationship with Christ. So again, we ask the question, how many people do you need to be in relationship uh, for this to work? Well, we said Jesus had 12, and then the way had house-sized groups. Now, how big is a house-sized group? Well, it depends, doesn't it? What's it depend on? The house, that's right, okay. Uh, so we don't know exactly how many people you have to be in relationship with, but we see Jesus' example of 12. We see that a house-sized group, a house-sized group could be eight, could be 12, could be 16. Um, once you get over that, up to that many people, then you stop being able to have the kind of relationships we're talking about. And phenomenal growth occurred in the church because of this, the, the way things were going. And what we see here is, is what we would call a small groups, small groups. They're meeting in big groups for the worship and the preaching and teaching, and then they're meeting in small groups to flesh this out, to live this out and to grow, to be like the Lord as they, they live it out. Uh, did you know there are 59 one another commands in the New Testament? 59. Now, they aren't all different. Uh, about a third of them are something related to loving each other properly. <clears throat> but 59 commands that we need to live out. And we tend to think of those commands this way, that, oh yes, if, that, if something comes up, then I need to do that. And so really, if I don't meet with anyone, I never have to worry about it, do I? But I think those commands are not intended to function that way. I think the commands are that we need to know them and we need to do them, which means we must connect in relationships with other people to carry out the commands that God has given us, not just for their sake, but for ours as well. So it seems fairly clear to me that God intends for us to be engaged in ongoing relationships. Um, we need purposeful relationships with other Christians to grow to be like the Lord. We, we need these. And when I'm talking about need these, and let me say, at the end of the service today, right, you know, if, if all of you said, oh, I gotta go sign up for a life group, and you all went back there and signed up for a life group, that, that'd be cool with me, but that's not what I'm preaching about today. Uh, life groups are a way to do what we're talking about here today. Okay, they're a great way to do what we're talking about here today. But I'm talking about you settling before God that you know what? God's people do have a role in my life if I'm growing to be, grow to be like the Lord. I have to purposefully engage with them in relationships. I have to do this if I'm going to grow to be like the Lord the way I'm supposed to. And then figure out how to do it. Now, um, 
some reasons why people say they don't need this. Okay, first of all, I have friends. I have friends who are Christians, and so we get together and we're all set. And you know, that is good, isn't it? Isn't it good to have Christian friends to walk through life with? Oh, that's so good. But it's not sufficient. Because most friendships I know, most friendships I have, while we get together and talk about life, and sometimes that includes with the Lord, we don't get together on purpose and sit down and open up the Word of God and say, what is God speaking to us about in our lives? What's He want us to know and do? And, and then we're, we're spending time on purpose praying together about those things and living those things out. And, and we aren't in this friendship saying, okay, now, who, who has needs and how can we help meet them? And um, just on and on, all the things that we would do in a small group or a life group, we don't typically do with our friends. And even if you did, you're, how many friends are you talking about? Two, three, that you're that close to? It's comfortable to do those things with our friends. But you need to get out of your comfort zone to grow. Do you remember we said last week that there is no growth without change? And sometimes we have to change in order to grow. And so we need to put ourselves with a little larger group of people where we are having to engage and learn and be stretched and grow, okay? Another reason people say is, well, I don't have time. I don't have time. Well, you know what, life happens, I get that. Sometimes we are very busy in life. And if you're in a situation where you're in a temporary situation, you know, hey, two months from now, this is gonna be different or whatever, and then that's fine, right? We all understand that. But if you begin to look at your life and realize, you know what, I am never going to have time to do this, then something has to change. You are too busy. And you need to get before God and say, God, this has to change. How do I change it? I need to change so I can grow the way you want me to. And finally, some people say, I don't want to do this. It is a comfortable. I don't want to do this. I, I, you know, I'm not motivated to do this. I get that because... I'm one of those guys, I mean, I'm not really an introvert introvert, and I'm not shy, I'm not have that problem. But I tell you what, if I get involved in a book, or working on something, or, or start watching some you know, silly series on Netflix, or whatever, it can be hours before I come up with air, and I haven't missed anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? I haven't missed anybody. If, and I, I really have thought about this because I've watched my father and my mom died and where he's at and how he, he lives. And I thought if my wife passed away and I was left alone, I would have to on purpose make myself go out and engage because otherwise I'd just stay home. Dun, 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 dun. Does, do you, I don't know if some of you are probably like that yourself, right? You know I'm not an introvert or I wouldn't go do, 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 do. The thing is, is sometimes we have to do things we don't want to in order to grow. Um, I'm at that place and talking, I, I need to lose weight, I need to get active, I need to exercise. I don't really feel like doing that. But I'm not gonna be healthy if I don't. I gotta make a choice. In your Christian life, if you are growing to be, grow to be like the Lord, you must make a choice to do something. And part of that is getting involved in relationships. 
Okay? See, these, these are all alarms that people set to tell me I'm supposed to be done. And we are almost done. You need to understand, you need a purposeful relationship with God's people in order to grow to be like the Lord. You need it. And that's what I'm challenging you to say yes to God about today. I do need that. I have to figure out how to get that. And then I have to go do it. And what we have tried to do as a church is offer you a way to do that, a good way to do that, and that is life groups. But if you are doing it some other way, that's fine. But do it. Do it. Get into those relationships so you can grow the way you need to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that you speak to us and challenge us and that you tell us the things we need to know. I pray, Father, we would surrender to you in this and realize we've got to start connecting with some other people as Christians around our relationship with you, around your word and, and what you have for us to do and so we can grow to, to be what you want us to be, not just us individually, but us together. And uh, so I pray, Father, you would be honored in the, our response to you in this today. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.